Luke 12, starting verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build a bigger one, or bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for this life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much indeed. Let's begin with a prayer. Father, this is your word and how desperately we need you to speak to us. And so, by your Holy Spirit, help me to be faithful and to speak your words truthfully and clearly to the heart. And may, again, by your Holy Spirit, we receive what you need us to receive, that we might be changed in how we think, how we feel, how we live. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, those who come regularly will know that Sunday by Sunday... We take hold of this book, and uh, for those who are able to, we open it up, we read it, and we seek to hear God speak through the Bible. If you haven't got into the habit of doing that, not just on a Sunday when you're with other people, or maybe on a Wednesday in a small group, but day by day for yourself, summer's a great time either to get back into routines or to start again. And it's a kind of reset time, I think, 
for many of us. So can I commend to you, if, you, if you've got out of it or if you haven't got yet in, into the habit of trying to spend a bit of time day by day reading the Bible, I'd encourage you to do that. And if you wouldn't know how to go about it, talk to a friend. I'm so grateful that I got into that habit at a young age. Uh, I was converted about 18, and almost immediately I began to read the Bible. And it was thrilling. And uh, there were days when I almost felt as as if I was plugged into the passage. It was kind of electric. And those moments were the days when I felt as if God was zapping me with one particular message. That's exactly what I needed to hear. And it happened a number of times. But then as I carried on in my Christian life, it happened, it seemed less and less, that there was that very special message from that passage just for me. And I thought I was missing out. There was something missing. And I was so thankful for a friend of mine who said, look, you need to understand that first and foremost, the Bible does not consist of lots and lots of little messages for you. And I was looking for the little message for me. First and foremost, the Bible contains, it's God's book about God. It contains some great truths about God. And so don't go to the Bible looking for that little message for me, but first and foremost, think, what is God saying to me about God? And he said, that will always apply. And the more you grasp great truths about God, the more your mind, your heart, your will, your life will be shaped. That's what I take it we're about Sunday by Sunday. But over this little series, Pete mentioned, these G's, we're thinking about four great truths about God. He's great, he's gracious, he's glorious. Today, he's good. And the more we grasp these things, the more we will be changed by them. The issue in these famous words of Jesus is really established in verses 29 to 31. I'm going to read them again. Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world, that's those who don't follow God through Christ, the pagan world runs after all such things and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Notice the the language. Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. The pagan world runs after all such things. The issue is what we set our heart on, what we'll run after, what we'll seek above all else, what we live for. And there's a choice. You can either live for the things of this world, treasure on earth, or live for God and his kingdom. Now, If I don't think that God is good, I will assume that everything depends on me to make something of my life, to achieve some kind of meaning, sense of security, some secure sense of self. And so it's all about me rushing after things in this world to give me that sense of satisfaction, meaning, security, and, and a sense of self. But if I'm grabbed by the great truth that God is good, that I'm liberated from running after all these things and making that the pursuit of my life. I'm liberated, rather, to live for what life is really all about, which is God and his kingdom. It's not the only application of this great truth that God is good. There are multiple in the Bible. 
Well, this is where Jesus is heading in this passage. So here's the choice. Live for the things of this world or live for God and his kingdom. And right at the beginning of the passage, you get the famous parable of the rich fool. And here's a man who's a typical of someone who's living for the things of this world. If we were to put the story in today's terms, here's a man who, humanly speaking, is very successful in every way. It's called the parable of the rich fool. But no one in his lifetime who lived around him was saying, oh, what a foolish man. It looked as if he was a great success. So he's one of these characters who just has the Midas touch. Everything he touches seems to turn to gold. He's brilliantly successful. In those days, it's a society which um, the rich people were, were farmers, many of them subsistence farmers, but here's a man who's got large amounts of, of land and he keeps on filling barns. So his barns are full. He's got all the stored grain he could possibly have and he doesn't satisfy with that. He just builds bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns. He's got more and more and more. And it looks as if he's so successful. You can imagine his friends thinking, oh, he's a lucky bloke. He's got life sorted. But the way Jesus tells the story... Well, that very day, his life will be demanded of him. That day, as he's sitting admiring all that he owns and thinking, I've got life sorted, at that moment, you can imagine, he just has a massive heart attack. He's dead before they get him to hospital. And Jesus says, what a fool he was. Because he can't take all that stuff with him. What a fool he was. And Jesus summarizes the point, verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And this next section we're looking at now is designed to, to drive home the point. He's basically saying, now don't do that. Don't make that mistake. Don't be like someone who devotes all his time and attention to storing up things on earth. That's foolish. No, rather, verse 22, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. It says something similar in verse 29. Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. And that warning's not limited to what we eat or drink or the clothes we wear. It's a more broad principle. Don't make the focus of your whole life, what you run after, treasures on earth, anything in this world, whether it's money or possessions or success. And as I said before, if you don't believe in God, or if you don't think God is good, then you're left with yourself to give yourself a sense of meaning, identity, purpose, security, a sense of self. And Jesus says the pagan world runs after all these things. And is that not a good description of the modern world? Running, desperate, to try and find meaning, satisfaction, identity in things in this world. Could be in our clothes, or more generally, what we look like. I am how I look. It's a desperate, desperate pursuit for many to feel good about themselves by how they look. And sometimes it works. I mean, there's a fleeting moment. Some quite often, others hardly ever. Sitting, looking in the mirror, and maybe 
there's a fleeting moment where someone thinks, yeah, I think I look pretty good. I like the clothes I'm wearing. I think... But that fleeting... Don't stay looking for too long because the longer you look, you suddenly notice, oh, there's something not quite right. I had the, um, the, the shocking moment this week, when actually last week, when I got my new passport. So I got the old passport and I put it with the other passports. And before I put them away, I thought, oh, it'll be just interesting to look at the photographs. And then I, I got them out, one next to the other. Now, if I just look day by day in the mirror as I'm shaving, I don't notice the aging process. But I can tell you, if you just look at a photograph 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, it's pretty relentless. And not many feel satisfied for very long finding security and satisfaction in how they look and their body and their clothes. Or I am what I buy or what I earn. And does not our modern world run after all such things? The 12-year-old has to have not just a pair of trainers, but those trainers. And when the first phone comes, it's not good enough to have mum and dad's cast-off phone. Maybe for a week or two, it's the most important, best thing in the world. And then there's a realization that a friend's got a better phone. It's always got to be the better phone. The car that granny's given as a cast-off, it's beyond your wildest dreams. But then a week or two, a month or two, a year or two later, it's not good enough, it's not fast enough, it's not new enough, it's not reliable enough. And then the, that first home, it's one room, but it's yours. It's amazing. But then it doesn't have enough space. You need a flat and then a house. And so it goes on. It's relentless. No one's satisfied if they find their identity and security and purpose in what they own. Or I am what I achieve running after all these things. Is that not the modern world? Begins at school. Exam results. I've got to do really, really well. And there are two problems with that. Most people don't do brilliantly, so that's a problem. But if you think, oh, well, that's fine. It, it doesn't work for those who don't do brilliantly. But if you do do brilliantly, it'll work marvelous. No, actually, some of you know that it's even worse if you do superbly well. Because then you've got to keep it going. If your whole identity is about doing really well and then you do do really well, you've got to keep going. So the next time you go to university, you've got to keep the standards going. Then you get a job. You've got to keep the standard. You've always got to be the best. Utterly exhausting. Andre Agassi had one goal in life driven into him by his dad. He had to be number one in the world at tennis. You know when he was most miserable? When he achieved it. And it didn't satisfy him. And then there was a realization, I've got to stay here. And very, very hard to stay at the top. I am what I achieve. If we look to these things, for identity, security, a sense of self, if we run after them, or the language of Jesus here, if we worry about them, if this is the focus of our lives, then we will make huge sacrifices, financially, relationally, spiritually too, but they will never deliver. 
That's true of anything in this world. It doesn't satisfy. Verse 15, Jesus says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Or verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Nothing in this world will ultimately satisfy. You can have plenty to eat and to drink. You can have the best clothes and still feel hungry, thirsty, and naked. They don't satisfy. And of course they don't last, as the rich fool realized. He couldn't take those vast barns with him beyond the grave. The body decays, clothes disintegrate, achievements are surpassed and forgotten. And Jesus says, don't set your heart on treasure on earth, but rather, verse 31, seek God's kingdom. These things will be added to you, they'll be given to you as well. Now, God's kingdom, well, that's the way the world was established. God was king, and everything submitted to God as king. What you have in the Garden of Eden is the kingdom of God as it was meant to be. But then Adam and Eve thought that life would be better if they were king and queen. They rejected the rule of God. And, of course, life wasn't better. And all the mess of the world has flowed from that sin, that rebellion, and we might understand if God was to say, well, you've turned your back on me, I'll turn my back on you, that's the end of it. But God is so amazingly loving that he's determined to establish his kingdom again, to reestablish his authority, his loving rule. Now, if you imagine a nation which is in rebellion, everyone rebels against the, the ruler, and the ruler is forced to flee, but then the ruler comes to reestablish his authority, he comes back in, well, that's going to be bad news for the rebels because you're going to assume that the first thing he'll do is crush the rebels. But when Jesus came to reestablish his kingdom, amazingly, he didn't come to punish the rebels. He came to take the punishment that the rebels deserve in their place so that he's able to reconcile us to him justly because he's taken the just penalty. And amazingly, he invites people into his kingdom, that we might be forgiven, that we might know him as friends, that we might live for him and look forward to the perfect future when his kingdom will come in all its fullness. And Jesus says, seek his kingdom. That's the most important thing in life, to be in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, to receive the gift of forgiveness and friendship, to live in the light of these things, and to live for Jesus as King while we look for his return. That's what life's all about. And yet how often people get deflected from thinking about Jesus and the kingdom, because they're so busy running after the things of this world, and maybe that's you, and you've never come to Jesus, and we plead with you, these things will not satisfy You've been deflected. Or perhaps you say, no, at some point, I, I have come to trust in Jesus and I've entered his kingdom. But don't we all get distracted? So even though we know, yes, that's what I really should live for above all else, time and time again, we get distracted and we focus instead on other things. 
popularity, success, pleasure, whatever it might be. And the challenge comes, listen, God is very, very good. Trust him and give yourself wholeheartedly to the kingdom. The world would say it's utter folly to make sacrifices and to put God in his kingdom first. But Jesus says it's actually very, very wise indeed because he's so good. This is a stress right through the passage. God is good. He's a loving father who wants the best for you. There's a little voice perhaps that says, oh, don't go too wholehearted in your Christian commitment because you'll be missing out on stuff. Implication, God doesn't really care. This is not really the best way to live. And Jesus says again and again, he's your father. He loves you. He'll care for you. Verse 30, the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. He knows what you need. He'll look after you. He's a loving father. And to drive the point home, Jesus says, you don't have to just read the Bible. Just look around you. Observe nature. Verse 24. Consider the ravens in the sky. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom, no barns. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Now there's no suggestion here that we should just sort of sit and wait for food to suddenly arrive like manna in the wilderness. The birds are not idle, they work for their food, but they work less than human beings, and God provides. And so all those things that we're tempted to focus on, obviously we've got to give time and attention to earning a living and doing all sorts of things like that. But Jesus is saying, this doesn't have to be the be-all and end-all of life, as if everything depends on you, because God is your loving Father. So you don't have to worry obsessively about these things. Trust him. I've often quoted these lines. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Interestingly, the Bible says God is creator, a loving creator for the birds, but it's only human beings who know him in a very special way will be made in his image, and it's only those who have entered his kingdom that can call him father. So if God cares for the birds, how much more do you think he's going to care for us? So stop obsessively worrying about these things. Verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? For some, anxiety can become an illness and it's not as simple as just switching it off. So don't feel guilty about that as if it's a terrible thing. And sometimes you need medical help to help you deal with anxiety. He's not talking about an anxiety condition here. He's talking about the focus of your life 
an obsessive focus as if everything depends on me doesn't depend on me. God is my Father. He knows what I need. He'll look after me. I can trust him. And even when he doesn't give me the things that I desperately want, I can know he's a loving father. He knows what's best for me. He will care for me. Look at the birds. Or look at the flowers of the field, verse 27. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. In other words, they don't go to the business of making clothes like human beings have to. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, the great king, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Just think of wildflowers in an English meadow in spring. It's one of my favorite sights. Stunning. And the different colors make a rich tapestry which make even the finest human clothes drab by comparison. Well, God put them there. He cares for us. He'll provide. He'll clothe us. Verse 30, the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. So God is good. What a difference that will make to what we do with our lives. We don't have to be obsessed about the things of this world. Of course, we've got to live in this world. We need to work. But it's not the be-all and end-all. We can trust him. And our identity is absolutely secure. I don't have to drive myself to try and gain a secure identity by looking beautiful, by being successful, by earning lots of money. God has made me very beautiful. My beauty is in his sight as someone who's deeply loved. And no one can take that away from me. I could lose my looks. I can't lose my father. I could lose my achievements. I could suddenly be a complete failure. can't lose my father. I could lose my money. can't lose my father. It's a beautifully secure identity. Much loved child of God. You could eat caviar or chips. Doesn't matter. Much loved child of God. You could wear Prada or Primark. Doesn't matter. Much loved child of God. So Jesus then draws this down in very practical ways. We don't have to run after these things. Trust him. Seek first his kingdom. And there are all sorts of ways in in which living for Jesus as king will be shown. But he just applies it in one particular way. It's striking. Verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? You might not feel very beautiful. You might not feel very successful. You might not feel very wealthy, but if you've trusted in Christ, you've got the kingdom. Your sons and daughters are the king of kings and lord of lords. You've been forgiven. You've got untold spiritual riches, and death can't remove them. In fact, death is the doorway into untold eternal riches. So, verse 33, 
Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Striking language, isn't it? Sell everything. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. It's not the consistent teaching in the New Testament that someone becomes a Christian and then they've got to sell everything. I mean, it's very obvious that I've I own clothes, I've got a phone, I, I've dis- have I disobeyed this commandment? No. It's quite clear elsewhere that the early Christians had possessions. But it's a very different attitude to those possessions. Rather than feeling I've got to keep on building them up because I don't have enough, because my security and identity is based on those things, so I need to keep on having better possessions, more possessions, larger bank balance. God is your father. Your identity is not bound up by all these kind of things, and therefore you're free not to keep on grasping. And the more you grasp, of course, you're grasped by those things that you grasp hold of. No, your hand is, is released because you know God is giving, and God will look after you, and so you're free to be radically generous. Not give everything away, because if you give everything away, that's, that's the end of your generosity. You can't be generous again because you've got nothing else to give. It's a radical way of talking about a radical mindset of generosity with my possessions, with my money and my time. If my whole identity is bound up in succeeding, why would I waste time on you? I've got to do well. I've got to focus on my work. But if my identity is bound up with Christ, I'm a much-loved child of God, I'm free to give some of my time in Christian service. Going to help washing up on a camp with teenagers. And some of you have been doing that and you're about to go back to work, and uh, you, I can just imagine the conversation. So what have you done on your holiday, you ask? And they say, oh, we've been to some exotic place. What about you? Oh, well, I've, I've been uh, on a camp with some teenagers. Um, I've been washing up. Oh, right. So you're saving up, obviously, to, to um, get, get a deposit. So how much? Was it good pay? Uh, no, actually, I, I, paid, I paid to go. Doesn't make any sense, does it? But I'm free to do that to give of my time and my energy because God is looking after me. If my heart is set on God and the kingdom, it'll be seen. And one of the ways it'll be seen in the use of money and time and energy. And this is not foolish. The things of this world, they don't last. Clothes destroyed by moths. Savings diminished by inflation. And all our possessions removed from us by death. Be radical, be give. Closing illustration. I read a number of years ago that uh, a biographer of the Duke of Wellington found a checkbook. And um, if you don't know what a checkbook is, ask your grandparents and they'll tell you. And uh, in, in, the old, in the old checkbooks where you write a check for however many pounds, and then there was a little stub, and you'd, you'd write in the stub what the money had been spent to. I've paid Pete Wilkinson 500 pounds or whatever, and there, and there it is. And then you pay the check, and it's just a record. And he found the check stubs, so he was able to see all that the Duke of Wellington spent his money on. And he said, when I saw how he spent his money, 
I knew the man. And so here's one example, one manifestation of a freedom from running after all these things, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we spend our energy. So you might say our account details reveal who we are. But more than that, and we'll close with this final verse, verse 34, that not only our account details not only reveal who we are, they actually to some degree determine who we are. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasure, in other words, what we value most, will act as a kind of magnet. Earthly treasure has a downward pull. Heavenly treasure has an upward pull. And the more we invest, as it were, in the kingdom of God, the more we'll grow in delight. And the good, the God who is infinitely good, good, good. Let's pray. Just a moment of quiet as we think of how we need to pray in the light of what we've heard. Father, please forgive us for times when we've run after the things of this world and that's been the focus and it's squeezed you out. And by your Holy Spirit, give us such a vision of your great goodness as our loving Father who sent Jesus to die for us. That we're freed from obsession with worldly things. Freed to set our heart on things above And so where that needs to be seen in our mindset, our hearts, maybe how we spend our money and time and energy, please change us for your glory. Amen.